Well, if you have a Bible, you can take it and turn to the book of James. James chapter 3. And I believe in the um, Bibles on the back table. That's going to be on page 1114. But we're in James chapter 3, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 12. And thinking specifically about our words and the power of the tongue. It's been a while, so it's time for another illustration from the Lord of the Rings. Um, If you've ever seen the movies or read the books, when we first meet King Theoden of Rohan, uh, he is kind of this shell of a man. You can picture someone who's sort of weak and decaying. He's slumped over in his throne. And as you watch the movie or read the book, you find out that his condition is actually caused by a guy that's named Grimma, but that everyone calls Wormtongue. And Wormtongue, with just the power of words, just whispering in Theoden's ear, has taken over his mind and his heart and reduced him from being a king to being a puppet of this evil man. And as I was studying this passage in James, I was reminded of that picture because it's a picture of the power of words, of the power of words for good or for evil, that, that words have deep influence and control over us. Of course, we all know the schoolyard rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And we all know that that is the furthest thing from the truth, that words are powerful. Just think about the news this week. Whatever your stance on the political spectrum is, the center of the news cycle this week has been about a conversation, about whether a conversation happened or didn't happen, and about what was said in that conversation. Why is that so important? Because the words that people say have power and have influence and have consequences. Our words are not a small matter. James has been showing us throughout this letter that faith without works is dead, that the nature of true saving faith is that it will change how we live. And we've seen uh, this throughout the book of James, but we saw it even in the words that, that Trevor preached on from last Sunday, that, that our faith is going to show itself in the fruits of our, of our lives. So in chapter 2 of this book, we saw that James zeroed in on the thought that our faith in Christ will change the way that we care for the poor and the outcast. That's going to show up in our lives if we have true faith. And here in chapter 3, James is going to take on a different area of our lives. He's going to take on the area of the tongue. And he previewed this in chapter 1, verse 26. If you maybe turn a page back or just look across the page or up a little bit, it says in James 1, 26, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. He makes that statement sort of, goes on to something else. But here in chapter 3, he's coming back to that idea that if we have true religion, if we have true faith, it's going to change the way that we speak. So this is what James wants us to see here in these 12 very powerful verses. I think his main idea is very simple. This is what he's calling out to us this morning. He's saying, brothers and sisters, behold the power of our words. Behold, consider, look at, Think deeply about the power of the words that we say. Behold the power of our words. He's calling us to to take a step back and to remember that the words that we say are powerful to harm 
to hurt or to help and to heal. And if we are people that are transformed by the grace of God, then we will see that transformation bearing fruit in every area of our lives, including the words that we say. If we have been brought forth by the word of truth that James talks about, then the words that form on our lips will also show that we are those new creations in Christ. Behold the power of our words. Let's read James 3, 1 through 12, and consider that idea. James 3, beginning in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Behold the power of our words. As we look at these verses, as you think about all these wonderful illustrations that are in here, just to kind of get a big picture of, of what is happening here, um, I think the broadest outline that we could give is that verse 1 has a specific caution to teachers, and verses 2 through 12 is a general warning to all. That's the biggest outline that, that I would put on this passage. But, and So thinking first about this, a specific caution to teachers. That's the first thing I want to talk about, just from verse 1, a specific caution to teachers. James begins in verse 1 with this instruction that not many in the church should become teachers. We could wonder why he says that. We could guess about it. But thankfully, we can just look at the next verse and see that he spells out very clearly why he says that. He gives us the instruction and follows it with this little word, for. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for. For is always an important word. Just take note as you're studying your Bibles, as you're reading, that little word is almost always extremely important. Because James is giving the reason why he says, not many of you should become teachers. So he says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for or because you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So why should not many be teachers? Because of the great responsibility that comes with it. Paul rightly says in 1 Timothy 3.1 that it is a good thing to desire to be an elder. And it's a good thing 
to want to instruct and to teach and to help others grow in their faith. But James reminds his readers and he reminds us that to take such a task on, to take that role on, is to also open yourself to more strict judgment. That's why Paul, I think, says to be careful about setting someone apart too quickly as a leader in the church. We may wonder exactly who is doing this judging. There's a stricter judgment. Is it coming from God or is it coming from others? Well, I think probably both, but primarily I think he's speaking about the stricter judgment of God. But still, it would make sense that those who teach would be held to a higher standard and would be judged more strictly by the people that are listening to them. Um, If I stand here this morning and I talk about how we are to speak and the words that we are to say, and then this evening I come back and I uh, belittle my wife and I yell at my children and I tell dirty jokes around the table, then you, you have every right to judge me more strictly than the guy in the parking lot or at the grocery store or at the restaurant who does the exact same thing. Rightfully so. That, that should be the case. So James is saying that those who teach will be judged more strictly by the people that they are teaching, but also by God. We're told that to whom much is given, much is required. And the gift of teaching combined with the responsibility to rightly instruct others is a large responsibility, and God will hold all teachers accountable to it. I think this is why Jesus was so hard on the religious leaders of his day. Because they were supposed to be rightly instructing their hearers, but instead they were leading them astray. So James is echoing Jesus. Jesus in Mark 12, 38-40 says this, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses for and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. The teachers of Jesus' day seemed to desire the prestige that came with teaching, but they neglected to consider the serious responsibility of it. And so Jesus pronounces on them greater condemnation, a stricter judgment. In a similar way, I think probably what's happening is that some in the churches that James was writing to wanted to be teachers, but had never processed through the responsibility of that role. Maybe they also wanted prestige. They wanted recognition. They wanted the power that came with teaching, but they didn't consider the gravity of that task. Maybe we do the same. I confess that sometimes I do the same. The desire to to preach or teach is that if we have that desire, it can be a good desire, it can be a bad desire. The desire to tell everyone what we're thinking on an issue could be a good desire, it could be a bad desire. We have to consider the responsibility of the task and consider the stricter judgment that will come. Have we reckoned with that? Have we reckoned with the reality of a stricter judgment upon us? We should be careful. And as a teacher in this church, I would say, I want to be careful. And I would plead with you to pray for those who teach, to pray for the elders, to pray for those who teach Sunday school, that we would see what James says here, and that we would approach the task of teaching with the right sense of gravity, with respect for the position that is there, the reality of the stricter judgment. I think specifically in this context, James is talking about a stricter judgment with regard to the words 
spoken by teachers. That would make total sense, wouldn't it? Because that's exactly what he goes into next. A teacher is someone who works with words, whether they're written or spoken. Um, a teacher has, uses words. That's, that's the tools of his or her trade. And words are powerful. As James is going to point out, he's going to show us how powerful these words are. A, a word from a teacher can change the course of a person's life, for good or for ill. I've talked to people who teach on a regular basis in, in churches, and someone will come up to them after a sermon or a lesson and say, you know, what you said about that thing, that was, that was powerful. I've never thought about it that way before. It, it changed me in, in a unique way. That's a wonderful thing to hear. And it's an extremely scary thing to hear, because you realize that the words that you've said have had an influence on someone's course of life. You can think about maybe words of a teacher that something someone has said to you, or a teacher has said to you, whether at school or maybe at, at church, and it had a deep impact on you, whether for good or for bad. Maybe, maybe they encouraged you in something, and it caused you to take steps forward. Maybe they discouraged you, and it really had a deep impact scarring impact. Maybe they questioned something that you deeply believed and caused you to question that. Or maybe they affirmed something that you were wrestling with and helped you to stop with the wrestling. The words of teachers, the words of those who are given power and authority are important and they have great power. They're not just words. I think that so many in our day just want us to say, well, it's just words. And James wants to say, just words? There's no such thing as just words. They have a deep, deep impact. We need to be careful as those who teach about talking glibly or lightly taking the roles that we're given. Of course, that transitions well because it's not just teachers, right? Teachers aren't the only ones who talk. Um, so James swiftly transitions from a specific caution to teachers in verse 1 to a general warning to all. Here's a general warning to anyone who talks. <laughs> so it includes us all. So this is verses 2 through 12. And as you look at these verses, what's interesting to note is that James, who always has imperatives, who always has commands and instruction, really has very little instruction about exactly what we're supposed to do to control our tongue. Uh, verse 10 is close. It says, my brothers and sisters, this should not be so. It's not really a specific instruction. Um, the clearest command is in verse 4. And you know what that command is? Look. Open your eyes, friends. Look into the mirror of God's word and stick out your tongue and say, ah. <laughs> and then say, uh-oh, because you realize just how powerful the tongue is. James is like a doctor. He's trying to persuade his patients that their condition is serious and it's going to require some immediate action. He doesn't want us to walk out of the exam room and think that it's no big deal and that there will be no major consequences if we make no changes in the words that we say. He wants to convince us of just how significant our words are. And the condition that Dr. James is describing is not a rare condition. It's actually something that every single person has. Notice verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says... He is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. <laughs> so we all stumble in different ways. Okay? 
Some of us struggle with certain sins more than others. In fact, there may be ways that I stumble, the ways that I struggle that aren't even on your radar screen. It doesn't affect you at all. And maybe there's what, things that you struggle with that I never struggle with. It's just not an issue for me. But you know what we all struggle with? <laughs> the words that we say. Every single one of us. We all trip up. In fact, we've all fallen flat on our face at one point or another. I think that's why in Romans 3, when Paul's making this point about how there's no one righteous, not even one, you know what he does? He goes to Psalms and he starts quoting Psalms about the words that we speak, that their throats are an open sepulcher. The way that we speak, if he says, if, if you want to show, drive home this idea that we're all sinners, James just has to, or Paul in that passage just has to say, just think about the words you use on a daily basis, because we all sin in that way. As you think about words, though, just don't don't pigeonhole this. James isn't. I I don't think James's big concern is about whether or not you cuss. <laughs> it's always been a big thing in the church, right? Four letter words are crass. It's not something that should be a part of what we say. It shouldn't be on the mouth of a Christian. But James, remember, what's he calling us to keep? He's calling us to keep the royal law. The royal law. And what's the royal law? To love our neighbor as ourselves. James is more concerned with the words that we speak, how they affect our neighbors, how they hurt and wound others, or how they can help those who are made in God's image. That's his main concern. When he's talking about the tongue, he's saying, how do your words influence, impact, have an effect on those around you? We've all hurt people with our words. There's so many words I wish I could take back in my life. We all have those, don't we? But you know, words are like toothpaste. <laughs> you never get it back in the tube once it's out, right? And I always think about when in a courtroom setting where they someone says something and then the, 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 the judge says, you know, strike that from the record and everybody needs to forget those words. But man, those words are out there and ain't nobody forgetting them. <laughs> That's how our words are. Since they're out there, they're out there. We need to be careful. I think verse 2 is key to, to understanding this, this passage. He says, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. I think there's a couple things that James is trying to say with that. One would be this. He's, I think he's talking about the difficulty of mastering the tongue. The difficulty of mastering the tongue. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is perfect. So if you don't stumble in what you say, you're perfect. You can rattle your whole body. I think he's saying, if you can do this, then you can do anything. You can get everything else in your life in line, but your words will always be a root that you trip over. So if you're at the place of mastering your speech, then you're perfect. You're complete. you got it all figured out. He's talking about the difficulty, that it's kind of like the last thing. It's the last stage, the last level that you have to pass. You know, if you think about a video game, it's the final boss. He's the hardest one to beat. You know, It's the tongue. But I don't think James is just talking about the difficulty of mastering the tongue. I think that verse is also talking about the, the influence of the tongue. We can even say the pervasive influence of the tongue. So he's talking about the difficulty of mastering the tongue and the pervasive influence of the tongue. So the tongue is massively influential, I think is what James is saying. The difficulty of mastering the tongue says, if you can do this, you can do anything else. But the influence of the tongue says, if you can do this, 
then it changes everything else. If you can master the tongue, it's going to change every other part of you. One commentator called the mastering of the tongue the, the master key. It's the key that unlocks everything else. The words we say cause so many other problems. So James wants us to focus on taming it. And if we focus on taming it, it will have an effect in every other area of our lives. So the same idea, 1 Peter 3.10, quoting from Psalm 34, Peter says, For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. So the tongue, Peter says, 1 Peter 3.10, is, is a key to joy and goodness in life. Our words have this pervasive influence on our entire lives. Again, James is talking about the power and the influence of the tongue. He wants to see how difficult it is to master. And all of this should lead to us seriously and soberly, soberly thinking about the words that we say on a daily basis. To make this point, James then uses this barrage of illustrations. I love it. This is a preacher's dream. I don't have to come up with any illustrations because James gave them all to me. So let's consider these. The, the first three have this in common. This is what they're trying to say. The tongue is small but powerful. That's the, the big idea of these, these first three illustrations. The tongue is small but powerful. So he's talking about bits in the mouths of horses. He talks about rudders on ships. And he talks about a small flame in a forest. Bits, rudders, Flames. These are all small things that have a massive influence over larger things. So you can drive down 64 and I guarantee you'll, you'll see some horses. And from a distance, they're beautiful. And you just think, oh, I, I'm, I'm in awe of these horses. And then you go stand next to one. And it's a little intimidating. And if you're not used to it, if you sit up on top of one, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little wary of that. I just don't know how I'm going to control this massive animal and what it's going to do. Do you know how you control it? It's that tiny little bit that's put in this huge horse's mouth, and you can direct it wherever you want it to go. Sort of. <laughs> or think about a ship. I was trying to figure out what's the ratio of a, the hull of a ship to the rudder. The rudder is about 2%. It should be about 2% of the mass of the whole hull of a ship. But that small rudder can steer the whole ship. So like a bit, like the rudder on a boat, the tongue is small but powerful. And I think these two illustrations show us that it's small but powerful in the sense that it directs. It directs. It, it, it leads us. It directs us. Have you considered this, that the words that you say direct the course of your life? What you say can make or break you. It can make or break relationships. The words you say can determine your career. They can get you a job or they can get you fired from your job. They can win you honor. They can bring you dishonor. They can stand as evidence to others that you have truly been changed by the gospel or they can cause people to doubt the power of the gospel because they see no change in the words that you say. I think that's in part what Proverbs 18.21 is trying to say. It's a verse that's been abused, but boy, it's a powerful truth. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. This idea of, of direction uh, can be read, I think, back into this caution to teachers, right? Because our words not only direct our own lives, but they have the power to direct the course of another person's life. 
especially if we're in a place of authority of teaching the Word of God. We need to be cautious about what we say, not silent. James isn't saying take a, a, a vow of silence. He's just saying we need to be careful and we need to be as sure as possible that our words are true and right and words of blessing. So the tongue is small but powerful. Those first two illustrations show that that the tongue directs our lives. This third illustration is, is about a, a small flame. And it, a small flame can set an entire forest ablaze. That's a strong illustration when you start to think about it. I think, but what came to my mind was a, a little less than a year now, the, the fires that swept across Gatlinburg. And they said they were, for the most part, possibly just started by one small fire. Or you can think about the, the wildfires in the West, or even more recently, this apartment fire that was supposedly started just in one apartment in London, if you remember, and the whole building went up, and the loss of lives and the loss of property, and it's just one small spark. Eight out of ten forest fires are caused by humans, <laughs> and it's just an, a, a fire that was left unattended, uh, an intentionally set fire sometimes, or even just a cigarette that gets thrown somewhere, and that's it. And the whole forest goes up in flames, loss of lives, loss of property. James is, is showing us that the, the tongue is powerful. It's small, but it's powerful not just to direct, but to destroy. It can destroy. The tongue is a fire, he says. How so? James describes the tongue as a world of unrighteousness. Remember the King James, the wor- a world of iniquity says that it's set on fire by hell itself. What does that mean? Think about all the ways that our words manifest unrighteousness and lead us to sin. So lying. We can lie to others. We can slander someone's character and cause massive problems. We might gossip behind someone's back. We might make fun of them to their face. You can whisper and you can cause harm. You can yell and cause harm. I thought about the issue of bullying that's talked about in our day and age in schools. And you read things about how someone is bullied in school to the point that they end up taking their own lives just because of words that are said. Crude words and appropriate words can come from our mouths. We might belittle someone. We might crush someone's spirit. We might flatter them and cause problems as well. If you're with us in Sunday school, we're looking at uh, the Proverbs teaching on adultery, and we noted that each time the adulteress begins with what? Words. Her words are smooth as oil. It's words that lead to that. Sarcasm. We think it's a joke, but it can bring deep wounds. You might say too much and cause problems. You might say too little and cause problems. And then there's the great sin of blasphemy. The sin that Jesus was accused of that ultimately led to his death, to speak offensively, to speak sinfully about God. These are all sins of our tongues. Boy, it's it's a world of unrighteousness, isn't it? Just in our mouths. It's no wonder that James says that it's set afire by hell itself. And with that description, he says that this unrighteous hellfire tongue is now set right in the middle of ourselves, right in the middle of all our members. It's like this flame in a forest, and 
it stains every other part of us. It sets on fire the whole course of our lives, our, our path of life. It extends to every part of our body, every aspect of our lives, and it has the potential to destroy us, just this little tongue inside our mouths. We might look again back at verse 1 and, and remember that we have not only the power to destroy our own lives, but we have the power to destroy the lives of others by what we say to them, how we teach them, how we talk to them. Again, Jesus warns the Pharisees, the teachers of his day, and has echoes of James. Matthew 23, 13-15 says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves, nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when, you, when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Wrongly teaching can have eternal consequences for people. The tongue is small but powerful. It can direct, but it can also destroy. It can destroy us and it can destroy others. See what James is saying? Behold, the power of our words, the influence of our words is pervasive. It touches every area of our lives. It has the power to direct us and others. It has the power to destroy us and others. A little further down, he talks about the irony of our tongues, what we might call this duplicitous nature of our tongues. We might think about our tongues as being forked like a like a snake. You might even just, if you want to draw that in your notes, that might convey the point just as well as a word. This forked tongue of a snake, because for all the evil that can spill out of our mouths, those same mouths can speak words of life and kindness and praise. We can sing a song on Sunday morning and then whisper into someone's ear that in the next breath we can encourage and we can compliment we can bless others we can bless God we can bless and we can curse in almost the exact same breath and James says brothers and sisters this should not be so so what's interesting to me then and what throws me off a little bit is that then James tells us, and no one can tame it. <laughs> Do you see this? It says um, in verse 7 in another illustration, Every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by, the, by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. James pulls in this illustration from the animal world, and he tells us that every animal in the world can be tamed. Every single one. Every animal can be domesticated. There are some strange pets that people have, and they have things that they have domesticated. Pigs, and so many other different kinds of... I read that one of the most poisonous animals on Earth is the poison dart frog. You can have it in your house in an aquarium. <laughs> because... Their poison comes from the food that they eat in their natural habitat. So when it's in your house, it's not poisonous. Still, I don't want it in my house. But you can tame anything. The most poisonous animal in the world, you can have it in your house. Any animal can be tamed. But the tongue is a poisonous, untamable beast. And no human being can tame and control the tongue. To which I say... Thanks a lot, James. <laughs> You've identified my major problem. You've told me that my tongue can set my whole life on fire. You've told me I can direct and destroy my life. And then you tell me I can't do anything about it. That it's untamable. 
So what are we supposed to do? <laughs> We've seen the power of the tongue. It can direct and destroy and how hypocritical and duplicitous our tongue can be. But if no one can tame it, should we just give up? I think that these final illustrations get to the, the root of how we solve the problem. And they actually take us back to the teaching of Jesus. So remember what he says here. Look back at it again. He says um, in verse 10, From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Then these are key. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Now, keep that in your minds, okay? And hear these words from Matthew 7. These are the words, I, I believe Trevor read them, though he focused on uh, some different verses. But right before the passage that Trevor spoke on, this is what Jesus says. Remember, Sermon on the Mount, James is talking about a lot. Matthew 7, beginning in verse 15, he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Hold that in your mind and go back to the passage that, that Ken read for us from Matthew 12. Similar teaching, but, James, but, but Jesus ties it to our words. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of what? The heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Doesn't that last phrase sound a lot like James? Justified by the words that you speak? Hmm. Here's what I think James and Jesus are teaching us. The only way our tongue, the, the only way to change our tongue is to change our heart. The only way to change our tongue is to change our heart. So we stick out our tongue in the mirror and we say, oh no, there's a problem with my tongue. But this is just the symptom. This is just showing, it's, it's showing up. And you know where the deeper issue is? It's in our heart. The tongue is a symptom of the heart. No human being can tame the tongue because the heart of any human problem is a problem of the human heart. I wish that was original to me. I don't even know who first said it. But the heart of any human problem is a problem of the human heart, and only God in Christ can change us that deeply. So when our words are simple, it's not a sign that we need to just try to talk differently. It's a sign that there's something deeper down in our hearts that needs to change. James is speaking to Christians, and he's showing us that it's impossible to bear two kinds of fruit or have two kinds of water pour from us, because if we've been changed by God, if we've been given a new heart, it's going to produce fruit of righteousness. It's going to produce words of life and, and words of love. When we who are transformed by Christ don't do that, when we talk evil and talk good, it's as strange as coming upon a vine that's bearing figs and grapes at the same time. 
That doesn't happen, and it shouldn't happen. It's the same as one of us goes and, and drinks water from a spring, and it's clear and crisp and cool and refreshing, and the other person drinks it, and it tastes like salt water. That shouldn't happen, James says. And he's saying, if we have been changed, it should be that strange for us to speak words that hurt and harm. Take a step back and notice that the message of the gospel is, in fact, over this whole passage. Remember that the gospel is always bad news before it's good news. Every single time. And it begins when we recognize that we are fallen. And as James has shown us, we all fall in the words that we speak. We are all sinners in many and varied ways. And when we see that, when we see that we are sinful, the next thing that we're supposed to see is that we cannot change ourselves. Can any human being change the tongue? Can any human being tame the tongue? No, because no human being can change the heart. And the message of the gospel is you are a sinner and you cannot change yourself. But the good news of the new covenant is that Jesus has come and he says, if we will repent of our sin, admit our need of a Savior and a Redeemer, that God will take our hearts of stone and he will give us a heart of flesh and we will write his law of love on them. He will forgive us of our sins and he will make us right before him. And if we have a new heart, then words of love and words of life can and will flow from our mouths. Perfectly? Never. Not until... He redeems us completely. But if we are Christians more and more and more, we will see how wrong it is when these false words, when these evil words, when these words that harm others, when they come out of our mouths, we will we will hate it. We will behold it and we will hate it. And we will see how destructive these words are. And we will look for God's help. We will behold the power of our words. And in the midst of that, we will behold the power of the gospel because it can change us. I think that's where James takes us. He says, look at how bad your words are. And it's coming not just from your mouth, it's coming from your very heart. But also, look, Jesus can change you. He can make you a vine that bears fruit. He can make you a spring that pours forth life-giving water. Think about the week ahead of you. I think as we think about the week ahead of us, we think about all the things we're going to do. But the most influential part of your week may not be something that you do. It might be something that you say. That's how powerful words are. We have the power to direct our lives. We have the power to direct the lives of others. We have the potential to destroy. We have the potential to build up and to give life. So what will we say this week? How will we speak to our children? or to our spouse, or to our friends and our co-workers? What are the words that we're going to type on the screen on social media? What's the tone of our voice going to be like? Will we be marked by biting sarcasm? Is that how people know the way that we speak? Will we be marked by genuineness, by truth-telling? Will we be marked by speaking harshly and yelling? Or will we be, will we be marked by, by humility and love? Will we say hard and loving things to people? Will we say loving and kind things to people? Things like, I forgive you, and I love you, or I see God working in you, I'm thankful for you, I'm glad that you're my friend. Are we going to encourage and build people up? Maybe send a card or a text or a phone call or a, a timely spoken word to someone? 
where we proclaim the good news of the gospel to friends and to family and to strangers because there's there's no more life-giving words in this world than to tell people that they can be forgiven and reconciled to God. Those words should always be on our lips. I don't know about you, but that sounds really hard <laughs> because we say so much and we're always talking and we always have the potential to, to hurt and to harm or to bless and to give life. And I'm so thankful that it's about a new heart and seeing that new heart built in me as I renew my mind, as I renew my heart each day before God, that the words will spill out. So brothers and sister, sisters, be, behold the power of our words and behold the power of Christ, who is the Word made flesh. He's come to make us new. He's come to give us a new heart. He's come to cause us to spill forth with words of life and, and words of love. And by God's grace, through His power, may the words that we speak be an evidence of a new heart, the heart that Christ has given us through faith.